So now we continue on to hear the word of God. We've been going through a series uh, called Life Together, looking at the doctrine of the local church. And within that series, we're kind of in a, a subset where uh, it's, it's titled by Whose Authority? And we've looked at uh, the topic of congregationalism and church discipline and membership. And now our brother Alan's going to open the word to us and share with us uh, about elders and deacons. Thank you. So... There's nothing like the truths of Scripture. The truths of Scripture talk to us about who God is. They tell us what's true about the God that we've been reconciled to through Christ. It talks to us about our own fallenness and how, how we live by faith and we, live, we put on Christ's righteousness. So there's nothing like the truths of Scripture. Uh, earlier in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, there's this phrase... That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Someday, the truths that we're talking about will humble every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's, that's what I'm handling today. Now, I'm not promising that I'm going to handle it perfectly. But, but when you handle the truths of scripture, that's what we're talking about. The gospel absolutely will someday shape the world and change it. So, and we sang earlier today, it seems as if eternal days are far too short to sing his praise. Eternity will be just long enough for us to appreciate the grace of God in Christ. So, occasionally, when I'm preaching or teaching or praying or reading scripture, I am (laughs) overwhelmed by what I'm handling. So if that happens, <laughs> I apologize. It just comes out of the blue sometimes. When I'm reading God's word by myself and handling scripture, I can rejoice in that. When I'm doing it publicly, it's like there's this thing of the Holy Spirit that just overwhelms my heart sometimes. So anyway, I'm not saying that that will happen, but if it does, it could. I'll be talking about elders and deacons today, and I want to be looking at 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13, at the qualifications of elders and deacons. And pretty much, I'm just going to focus on elders simply because the qualifications are pretty much the same. It's a little more stringent for elders, and, um, but pretty much they're the same. So I'll be focusing most of my comments on elders, and a couple of the passages are, are elder only. So just with that up front, I love you deacons, it's just... Going to focus on the role of elders more. Um, so we're going to look at the qualifications. We're going to look at what they tell us about that person, about their life. And I'm, I want to talk a little bit, how does someone get there? What does that tell us about the person that they have these qualifications? And their place in the church, the way God uses them. And then at the end, I really, and this was um, probably the more, really a, a big thing for me in this study, was just the, the understanding of authority as a means of grace for the church. That was kind of a new thought for me. Not the idea of authority, but authority as a means of grace, a means of, of bringing God's truths and God's life more fully into the lives of every one of us. So that's pretty much my outline for today. Let's, um, let's pray, and I'll read the scripture. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for going to the lengths that you went to, Lord Jesus, in going to the cross and suffering in our place and restoring us fully to the Father by your work. Lord, bringing back everything that was lost in the fall through your sacrifice. 
Lord, I ask that you would be exalted today. Lord, that you would take the preparation I have made, Lord, and you will take, that you would, Lord, you would bring your words to your people, that they would accomplish in all of our hearts and minds the things that you would intend for them to accomplish in opening their, our eyes and teaching us what's true. Lord, I ask this in your name and I commend this time to you. So 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I want to begin with the office of overseer or elder, same, uh, same meaning. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He wants to do something good. And the word aspire here carries, carries a sense of stretching out for something. It's not a picture of um, an elder like, I have it all together, I have the qualifications, I should be an elder. It's more the sense of someone stretching out and leaving their comfort zones behind for the sake of doing something for the kingdom of God. So aspiring to the office of elder is, uh, is a stretch for anyone because none of us live perfectly in our faith. The elder must be above reproach. The sense here is, is that your life is as good as it looks. There's no false fronts, no hidden life, that um, nothing that's really going to bring condemnation down on you by what you do. Okay, one wife. This is not only the biblical standard in America, it's also the law. And it's also, in my uh, estimation, foolish. <laughs> he had more than one wife. Sober-minded. This means clear-headed, not frivolous. Does not mean you don't have any sense of humor. It just, uh, you must be aware, an elder must be aware of the weighty issues of life. Uh, we are in a world that's full of broken people. Sin has devastated lives everywhere. It's devastated all of our lives to some extent. So an elder must be aware that, that he's dealing with real issues and broken people. Self-controlled, demonstrating thoughtful and prudent behavior, not living in the grip of un, uh, unbroken sin. 
self-controlled means you're not living by what you feel, but you're choosing the path based on what you believe, what scripture tells us is true, and you're living that intentionally and purposefully. And the Holy Spirit also helps us in that. So respectable, lives honorably with his life in order, keeping a sense of priorities and due diligence in his affairs. Someone with a gracious sense of perspective, uh, making good choices with how you spend your time and what you do. All this is, in, is containing the idea of respectable, that an orderly a kind of a, a, a life where things are fitting. Hospitable, uh, that's being kind and generous to guests and strangers. Uh, opening your home to them, uh, opening your home in compassion to those in need. Elders are all about people. Elders must love people, and their homes should reflect that love. Okay, not a drunk. This seems obvious and self-explanatory. Just remember, we're supposed to be self-controlled. Able to teach. So to be able to teach, you have to be a student of Scripture. You have to have a grasp of the Gospel. You have to see the centrality of Christ in all of Scripture. Because that's what scripture is about. If you don't grasp that, you're going to have a hard time teaching it well. Um, The Holy Spirit is our indispensable help here. To apply and live in the truths of scripture is a continual and daily pursuit. In this context, you will be able to teach and encourage others with the truths of God's word. And you gain skill in teaching simply by talking to others about what you found in God's word. Things you've understood from scripture the things you read from Scripture, their significance in your life, the fruit you've seen. As you talk about your scriptural find, you will find at least three things. One, you will build up and encourage the faith of others when you talk about who God is and what he's done for you. You yourself will become more articulate with the truths of the faith as you seek to handle them and express them. And three, you will see both correction uh, when you're in error and pushback from someone who just sees things differently. Now, we, we actually need, both those responses are good for us. We need to learn how to receive correction in, in eternal truth. And we also need how to learn an elder, especially must know how to stand firmly and graciously with clarity in the truths of God's word without you know, being, uh, getting angry or losing his balance. And also, family devotions are a great place to practice teaching. So... I think in all of us, in our homes, all you men, I'm encouraging you right now, with your, and not just the elders, that you learn how to teach in your own home, learn how to communicate the truths of our faith to your kids, and devotions are a great way to do that. And um, Okay, so again, not, uh, the elder must be not violent but gentle. Uh, literally, that's like a physical, not a striker, not a giver of blows. Uh, but the book of James makes it con- clear that we also can hurt people with our tongues. That controlling our tongues is also a part of, um, can be a sense of violence. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can also kill us. So he must be not violent, but gentle, as in forbearing, patient, kind. The kind of person who can overlook an offense and keep their equilibrium when someone ruffled, (laughs) when they hit some wakes from a passing boat. Not quarrelsome or contentious. This continues the picture of someone who's not easily offended. If you know your own sin and how dependent you are on grace, then it's easier to be patient and encouraging to others. 
If, on the other hand, you feel like you keep your position of leadership because you're smart and because you, maybe you're a little bit better and have your ducks in a row, then you will always feel the need, at least you will always be tempted to let others know what they should be doing, why they should be doing it, and you will present your own self as a model. Now, to be sure, elders are supposed to be an example to the church, but one of the things that should be foremost on the list of what elders model is humility. Humility is the foundational character uh, that, uh, that leads to the other virtues in Christ-likeness. True and gracious humility enables every other characteristic on this list. Humility is really first of elder qualifications. Okay, not a lover of money. Love people, use things. Go ahead and wear out your, your furniture and your carpets in serving others. The idea is, here is that you're not a stingy person. Okay, must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Initially, this means you're not a screamer or a threatener. Children take a lot of raising, a lot of prayer, a lot of patience. Children will grow you in sanctification and faith. You must truly love your children and seek to lead them to Christ, both in the words you say and the things you do. Um, And I want to give you a quote here. The sense here is of, quote, a man who carries himself with a perfect blend of dignity and courtesy, independence and humility to his fellow man. A home with appropriate respect, but not a stern home, not a hard home. Your home is your first exhibit uh, as a demonstration of your fitness to be an elder. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Not that anything about raising our children in Christ is little. Okay, not a recently made convert. The need here is for someone seasoned in grace who is familiar with their own sin and selfishness and has learned, leaned in, learned to lean into Christ for the grace to live life well. Not someone who thinks they just needed a little help to get started but can handle it on their own now. Thank you very much. Not someone who still gets lost in the smoke of Satan's lies that can still be puffed up by their successes and so led to a fall by their pride. And the last uh, qualification is they must be thought of, well thought of, by outsiders. This is someone who, who knows how to flee sin outside of the church as well as in the church. Uh, someone who has one life they li- that he lives before Christ at all times. Someone whose life matches up with their confession of faith in Christ. This is about integrity. This is about understanding that if you're a leader in the church, Satan will probably put traps in front of you to cause you to stumble. So you're the kind of person who can see the trap and avoid it. So initially, the qualifications would show that the elder must be familiar with the effectiveness of grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ is where all these character qualities have their origin. And that someone has these means that the grace of God has been effective in changing and shaping that person's life, that elder's life right now. Anyone who is in Christ, who has been born again to a new and living hope, gets into heaven because Christ's righteousness is counted to us by God. But someone who allows and cooperates with the Holy Spirit more fully now, 
who is being successfully conformed to the image of Christ so that Jesus' character is being established in that person and is visible in that person's life, these are the people that Paul said should be deacons and elders. They are behaving well, their lives are in order, and it isn't because they're trying harder than everyone else. It's because of the gospel and because Christ is their hope of godliness. God does wonderful things for us in salvation in reconciling us to himself, and none of us could truly live in what we deserve. It's foolishness to aim at it or hope to. The gospel is so much superior as a means to live life well because it's only the gospel that connects us fully to Christ. So don't see the list as a checkoff things, as a checkoff of things that you need to achieve by trying hard. Um, but as evidence of grace received, embraced, delighted in, and followed. The list of characteristics for being an elder is something that everyone in Christ will aspire to because of the work of the Holy Spirit in all of us to conform us to, to, conform us to the image of our Savior. His life in us will result in a desire in us to do well, to do truly well. Uh, but to, we must learn to trust Christ, hold to the gospel, and embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there's a couple of verses from Titus I just want to read that, that just talk about this work of the Holy Spirit, not just in elders, but in all of us. First, so First Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we are saved by a God, not because of anything we've done, but because... Uh, according to his own mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And he poured the Holy Spirit on us richly in Christ. So it's all from God, and it's all to his glory. But it's, it's at work in us. And Titus 2, verses 11 through... Whoops, I think it's supposed to be 11 through 15. <laughs> Sorry, I bring my Bible up here. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives upright, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me check this a moment. Who, um, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his, his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's stop with that. So all of this is that God has done in us teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, and... Um, to, because God is purifying a people for himself or his own possession. So everything that an elder is, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, we are all. We're, we're all in that same stream. We're, we're all in that, we're, we're brothers and sisters with them. 
So let's now look at our second verse today, 1 Peter verses 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the church is God's treasure, purchased at tremendous cost. God's purposes will be, have been, and are being worked out by his spirit through his people. God has, gracious, has graciously given to us his people uh, to achieve, has given, has given us the gospel um, in the gospel, we, we, we're brought back to the life we were designed for. We're, we're in relationship with God again. Our lives can look like they're supposed to look like. We can live in the favor and the mercy that God, that God has restored back to us in the gospel. And in the Great Commission, we have a charge and, and the authorities, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the elders and deacons have authority from God to help us fulfill the charge we have as a church, which is to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, so he uses elders and deacons to build up and prepare his body for the work of the ministry. And in at least one sense, the elders and deacons are not the bright lights of God's glory. You are. Um, we are, there's no... Let's see. Every one of you has a gift that God would use to employ to build up his body and to bring glory to his name as witnesses to Christ. Corporately and individually, we are his witnesses and the keepers of the gospel. There is no real line between elders and the rest of the body. We are a team. We are all witnesses. But within the body, uh, elders and deacons are charged specifically with building up the body for the work of the ministry. Or again, to put it another way, God has charged us to be witnesses and charged the elders and deacons to be coaches that prepare us to do that. Also those, also those of us who are under the elders' leadership should understand what God has called them to do and embrace that call and res- give them respect. They are called to do a difficult thing, to shepherd the flock. That is, to provide vision, to make decisions all the time, to settle disputes and hear many voices about what the church needs and how things should be done. They are examples of grace, faithfulness, wisdom, mercy, fidelity to Christ and God's word and each other. They have authority from God and grace from God to do what they are charged to do. Though not listed specifically, humility is woven into their job description. Peter here is telling him to do all those things eagerly, choosing to serve with good hearts. We also need to own our need to respect them, our call to pray for them, support them, love them. And again, remember, there isn't one thing on their list of qualifications that we aren't also called to. We also follow Christ as Lord. We love him and one another. And we are also being conformed to the image of Christ so our homes and lives should also be hospitable and in good order. Let us make it a priority to be good-hearted and value the unity 
that we have in Christ above lesser things. To sum up uh, this passage, we should see ourselves as a family. The elders have been given oversight and responsibility to build up the body. Our goals should be the same as theirs. We should make common cause with them, be shoulder to, to shoulder with them, and honor them for their care, their work, their sacrifice, their patience, and their faithfulness. Now let's look at Hebrews 13, verses 17 and 18. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. We need to honor our elders and our deacons for the weight they carry for us, true weight that they will someday answer to God for. This underlines our need to see the big picture of God's glory. We are to achieve this together by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in us in every way and at all times by immersing all of us, by immersing ourselves in God's word, reading, studying, memorizing, storying, storying, we, need to, we meet God in the pages of his word through the agency of the Holy Spirit. We should, we should all be doing this, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, bringing every thought captive to Christ, rejoicing every day that our, na- our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. God has given us elders and deacons to help us in this pursuit. They are coaches They are given wisdom for us by a faithful God who appoints them and loves us. They are gifts to us from God, and we should gratefully embrace and rejoice in the wisdom of God that comes to us through our elders. They have embraced the call and stepped willingly into the role that God has given them. Now, I know our elders and deacons, and they are approachable and willing to listen to feedback from us. So... They're, they're, they're accessible. They, they want to hear what you think. And we just, but we need to, we just need to recognize God's purpose and plan and, and, and uh, walk together as one people. The main point here is we can trust to God to meet, we can trust a sovereign God to meet us graciously through our elders. And though the list of qualifications is rigorous and comprehensive, above and beyond that list is the unerring faithfulness of a God who is both sovereign and gracious. The list of qualifications is critical for their becoming an elder. But once they are an elder, my confidence in them has its main support in the God who meets us through them. Elders and deacons are gifts to the church, both to all of us corporately and individually. The authority and role that God gives elders and deacons comes from him. Anyone... Who's sent? And if you send someone, they come with your power, with your authority as your representative. So elders and deacons come to us as those whom God has sent. They come in his power and his authority. And it's meant for our thriving and fruitfulness. And I want to develop this idea further in my last point, what it means to be under authority. So when God made the world, it was good. There was no sin. 
And as Matt pointed out earlier, God made us in his own image. He made us like him. We're able to appreciate him because we're like him. An animal can't appreciate the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God because it's not made like him, but we are. So we can appreciate God. And he made us moral beings. Even people who don't believe in God, atheists, are still, they're still moral. They can't help it. When you're made in God's image, you care about right and wrong. And even though you might bury it behind some false system of beliefs, it's still there. So, and he's the creator, but under him, we are creative and able to appreciate beauty. We can look out on, at the stars on a clear night in the country and be awestruck. So he made us like him so that we could be his regents on the earth. Uh, let me read Genesis 1, 27 through 28, which Joel brought this up a couple weeks ago. I appreciated it. So God made man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made everything. He made us like him, and gave us authority over all that he had made. There is clear order here, and the task given to man initially was to carry out and establish God's rule over all creation, and man was given specific authority to do so. Now, in the fall of Adam and Eve, it was a true rebellion against all of that. They chose to follow Satan's counsel rather than God's. The story of the world then became one of anarchy and disorder and sin so thorough, so complete, so pervasive that God brought a flood to, to destroy a world that had gone completely wild and willful. And in the book of Judges, we have story after story of Israel turning away from the Lord, following after other gods, then suffering defeat and oppression at the hand of their enemies because God has turned away from them. Then they remember who they are, who the true God is, and they repent and cry out to God, and God always sends them a, 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 someone to redeem them. And as long as that judge is alive, the people follow. But as soon as he dies, faithfulness dies with him. Uh, and they begin another cycle of idolatry, oppression, repentance, and crying out to the Lord. And the book of Judge, Judges ends with this very significant phrase. In those days, there was not, no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, when there was a clear, physically present, earthly authority, a judge over them, then they followed God. Um, they did better. And I think that's significant for us. We have God who we know is absolute king, and, and there's no way in which I'm saying elders or deacons stand between you and God. We all have a direct relationship with God through Christ. But they still serve a place in his body and his purposes. I want us to see in these stories from the book of Judges something that we already know. That when we turn away from God and his ways, the fruit we get is always and inevitably bad. And I'm really talking about heart issues here. Where is our hope? What are we trusting in or turning to? Where are we, what are we trusting in or where are we turning to for help? Specifically, do we have enough faith to live under God's words? Or to put it yet another way, are we embracing the grace of living under his authority? In the gospel, we are restored back to the relationship that we lost in the fall. 
our hearts can once more care for and rejoice in the glory of God. Even better, our standing with God is no longer based on our righteousness, but on Christ's. Our lives are built, our lives in God are built on the rock of Christ. So one of the graces that comes back to us once more is living in the stream of authority that begins with the Father and comes to us in Christ and his spirit. We need to see here that authority has everything to do with relationship, with harmonious and effective relationships that achieve the ends that they're instituted for. Um, I'm, giving, I'm talking a lot about authority today in our lives as believers because I, I want to talk about, I want us to more fully appreciate the significance of, of, uh, and the role of, of elders and deacons in our lives. And I just want you to know, it's a pretty narrow track. The Bible has a lot to say about authority. A lot of it I'm not touching, um, but I, I do want to make some points. So I want to make a contrast between Jesus and Adam. Adam chose the course of going his own way apart from God and all of the sin and suffering in the world that have ever been since the dawn of time uh, come from the choice that Adam made. Jesus came, God the Son, co-eternal with God the Father and the Spirit. And as a man, he lived on every word, act, and desire of his Father. By his own words, Jesus never did anything or spoke anything on his own authority, but but depended entirely on the Father. Let me uh, read some verses here. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus' actions all came from watching the Father. To John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus didn't follow his own will. And, and we have the, the, the heartbreaking picture in the Garden of Gethsemane of Jesus crying out for the Father to take that cup from him. And then... You know, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus' will was completely submitted to the Father. John twelve forty nine. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus' words are from the Father. <laughs> if anybody could have said any, something on their own authority, it would have been Christ, but he didn't. And then John 16, 13. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's the same story. And this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the, all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. So even the Holy Spirit follows that same order. Do you get this picture? It's like God the Father, God the Son, that's the Trinity, that's one God, three persons, one God. It's, it's what we believe to be true about God. Within the authority, there's the, the Son followed, lived entirely on the Father. 
the Holy Spirit dwelt entirely from the Son. I mean, it's this beautiful picture of submission and, and grace that the, that's practiced within the Trinity. We are not going to improve on that. Though we are fallen and live by grace and faith every, every day as a gift, we need to see and understand that God has established authority in the church for our thriving in him. Elders and deacons are gifts to us for his glory and our good. Authority is given from God to them, and it's a gracious, sweet, and holy gift from God. The the authority given to, to elders and deacons, it's a stream of grace for us to thrive, to grow in. Now, obedience and submission to authority still have a sting to them because we still have fallen hearts. And that was the heart of the fall, that when that we could be wise, you know, knowing without having to depend on God, good and evil. And um, so we all have this deeply seated urge to make it on our own. Receiving Jesus' righteousness as a complete gift, as something we could never earn, is the wonder and the glory of the gospel. But it only sits well in childlike hearts. And our pride, we would much rather deserve it somehow. So our best course is to turn from our own way and make complete and willing room for God's. God calls us to be righteous by faith alone, in the Son of God alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. That's four alones together. So recognize your problem with pride and rebellion and honor God by doing what he says, by living under his words, by gladly and eagerly pursuing obedience and faith, not as a means of being saved, but as a means of living in the relationship with God that we were made for. We were made. We are designed to live in God's love and favor. We weren't made to live sinful, fallen Lives that are ripped apart by our pride and by the enemy. We were made to live in relationship with God. We were, uh, and we, we need to rejoice in submitting to him and living in his words. So understand that being reconciled to the Father by the Son's substitutionary atoning death in our place, that living in, living in him that is a restored grace that comes back to us in Christ and his gospel. The main point to understand about authority is that it's relational. Uh, Gracious and it's built on trust in God first, but also in men. We already know from 1 John that if we don't love people whom we can see, then we don't really, really love God whom we can't. And so conversely, I think it's fair to say that if we don't trust those whom God has appointed over us, then we don't really trust the God who appointed them. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or guilty. I only want to emphasize the elements of trust and faith that make our lives effective and fruitful. That's really the whole point here. The stream of authority and grace that begins in God and comes through the Son and the Holy Spirit that comes to us directly, but also through the elders as a means of grace, is meant for our thriving. It's meant for our churches to actually be successful in the thing that God has charged them to do, that we truly live in the gospel, that we truly fulfill the great commission. All this is, it comes because 
of who God is and because of what he's done. And my point this morning is we begin to recognize that more fully. Um, I want to talk about one of my favorite stories in all of scripture, the centurion with faith. Matthew 8, verses 5 through 10. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at, and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So the centurion understood authority and had so much faith that Jesus marveled at him. Uh, how do faith and the understanding that we're all under authority go together? Now, as a Roman centurion, he would have understood how the hierarchy of of authority worked in Roman armies. He obeyed those over him and commanded those under him. It was tremendously effective. Rome was the first and most long-lasting superpower because her armies were the best on earth. There is a story that might just be a story about Julius Caesar. Before opening a battle with the Gauls in what is now France, he had their commander over to try to negotiate you know, surrender without the battle. And he had this commander, you know, he had his army assembled, and he had the commander pick any two soldiers he wanted. And Caesar had them walk to the edge of the cliff, told them to jump off, and they did. And the, it worked. <laughs> the, Gauls, the, the, they, the other army surrendered without a fight because that kind of discipline and authority is pretty, like you don't want to mess with that. So the world, the centurion lived in a world with clear order and authority. And recognizing Jesus as one with great authority in matters of healing and spiritual things, he knew Jesus didn't have to come in person. He just had to give the command and it would be carried out. We need to see today that God's grace flows to us similarly through the gift of elders and deacons, not in a strict military sense or using a military model, but understanding that God gives us much through them. Elders and deacons stand in the stream of authority that begins with God and comes to us with mercy and grace to build our lives so that they are effective in fulfilling his plans and purposes on the earth. Authority is relational, and we all thrive in God's plans, and and God's plans are most effectively accomplished when we embrace his authority in our lives and we welcome it. And elders and deacons are instruments in God's hands to bring about the fruitfulness that he desires, that he has in mind for his people. God's gracious authority and rule comes to us when we willingly embrace those he has placed in authority in the church. We are effectively placing ourselves under that same gracious stream of mercy and favor and love that... um, and that will, that will guarantee eternal fruit in God's purposes being established when we honor our elders and deacons as those instituted by God for that purpose. And I would like to, to end today with just a time of prayer. So I'm asking every elder and deacon to stand up. I don't really have authority, but I'm asking it. 
and let's pray for them. I will lead in prayer, but all of us, let's just join in prayer and, and be thankful. Give thanks to God. Return thanks to God for his mercy to us. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in our lives as, an in, as individuals and as corporately as a church. Lord, and I recognize that the elders and deacons, it's not about their personalities. It's not about their... Ultimately, it's not about their gifts and traits, though those are important and, and critical. Lord, it's about your meeting your people through them. Lord, this order that you have established is a means of grace to build up your body. Lord, that we would be that we be a true reflection of who you are, that, our, that your purposes, Lord, would be established in our lives and that we could go out and we could be the witnesses that can really bring glory to your name, Lord, that, to, that can be a true city set on a hill or a light uh, that's set on a table. Lord, and, and I, I just pray for every elder and deacon here. Lord, I thank you for their service. I thank you for their care. I thank you that you've appointed them, Lord, and, and that you use them, Lord. And um, I just ask that you would continue, Lord, to work with them, to give them a sense, Lord, of just who you are and the place they carry in the body, that they would fully step into that and that we would, we would make one common cause with them and not see them, Lord, as separate, but that, that they, are, they are here, Lord, to build us up, that we might walk in the fruitfulness that you call all of us to. Lord, I ask that you would, I ask these things in your name. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and for your mercy. Amen.